0: Boy, I, I sure am thankful. I, I will echo what's already been said tonight. I am thankful for Jesus saving my soul. I sure am thankful for the change that he wrought. Uh, I don't do this, and this kind of goes along with the message. I don't do, we, we don't do what we do as Christians because we have to. We do it because we, we like it. We enjoy it. We do what we do, and we have fun while we do it. And I, I hope I hope that's why you do what you do. And if not, man, I, I really hope you're able to get that thing ironed out in your heart between you and God and begin to enjoy your Christianity. I, I'm not going to lie to you at all. There are parts of my Christianity that I dread and I really have to endure at times, but that's usually, usually because I'm backslid. And I, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that just to say it. The, the times in my life to where I get to where I have to endure Christianity is because I'm usually out of touch with God. But when I get those things right with God and get back in touch with the Lord, man, this is the best life there is. It, it really is. And so we thank God for that. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to, uh, well, let's, let me just read what I want to read right quick. Look here in Ephesians chapter 6 and look in verse 5. I'm not even going to read a whole verse. So if you feel like you have to have a whole text verse read, I'm going to make you mad. Trying to see who I'm making mad. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 5. You see that first word? Servants. Yeah, that's right. Servants. That's my text. Yeah. Servants. So I'm going to try and preach a little bit tonight about a New Testament servant. A New Testament servant. Father, we sure do thank you, God, Lord, for what's taking place in here already. God, thank you for the testimonies. And, Lord, I, I appreciate, God, your people, Lord, uh, standing up and just saying what you put on their hearts, God. And I, I pray, Lord, that you help these folks. pray you'd establish them. And, uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd be with us tonight, Lord, as I open your word, God, and just try to say some things, Lord, that you put on my heart. God, help me to be clear. God, I pray that, Lord, you'd be honored and glorified. God, I pray, Lord, that that everything would point back to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that in all things... You'd have the preeminence, God. I pray that you'd be lifted up among us, Lord, here this evening. God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done in our hearts. God, thank you for dying for our sins and making all of this possible. God, this is by far the best life that there is to live. God, it's not without trouble. It's not without trials. It's not without tribulation. But, God, it's the best life that there is. And, God, we pray that you'd help us, God, to be faithful to you Help us, Lord, to be a faithful servants, Lord, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He says right here in Ephesians chapter 6, let me read a little bit more. He said, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So I lied. I did read a whole text verse, but I read that. I didn't lie. It was just being facetious, but lighten up. Y'all intimidating me, not really, but anyways, he says, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And so in the context, what Paul is talking about here in the text, he's not talking about necessarily being servants of God. What he's talking about is being a servant of an earthly master. But I was reading through this, I believe, uh, not yesterday, maybe a couple of days ago, I was looking through the book of Ephesians. And I came across Ephesians chapter 6, might have been in my daily Bible reading, but I saw some things here in verse 5 and verse 6 that has some application that deals with what it is, what it's like to be a servant of God. And so I felt like it'd be appropriate tonight to elaborate, or perhaps for a few services, I know we're going to preach about it tonight, but maybe in the coming weeks we'll deal with it a little more on this subject of, the, of New Testament service. So... First of all, as we get started tonight, let me say this. Let me introduce all of this by asking the question, who are they? Who are New Testament servants? Who are servants? Uh, Who are these people and how can they be identified? I think that's a good way to try and approach this thing. After all, if there are servants in the New Testament, there's got to be some kind of mark. There's got to be some way that we can identify them. And I'd like to know who they are so that I could potentially become one of them. And I hope that's your prayer as well. So let's look here in Romans chapter 1 and let's take an example from somebody who said he himself was a servant. Look here in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1 is not according to scholars and you know how dependable that is, which I say that meaning it's not dependable at all, but uh, putting some things together, I say it's not dependable at all, but you put some things together in the book of Acts and you find out that Romans is not the first book that Paul wrote when he wrote the epistles. The first epistle that he wrote was most likely 1 Thessalonians, which is a, a large statement in and of itself. But the first book that is recorded in the scripture as it's laid out in the, in the canon, and when we talk about the canon, let me just throw this out here, the canon is not poom that's not the canon. The canon is the, the whole of Scripture, of which the Apocrypha is not included in. Let just throw that in. Does anybody know what the Apocrypha is? Some of y'all kind of give me strange looks. The Apocrypha is not Scripture. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church threw it in, uh, the Old Testament, intermingled it throughout books in the in throughout the Bible, and they said, well, it's inspired Scripture. It is not inspired Scripture. And when the King James translators came up, they translated your Bible into English. They interpreted it into into English. They put the uh, Apocrypha in there, but they put it in between the New Testament and the Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and they did that for supplemental reading. They did not do that, contrary to what a scholar will tell you or some wise guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. They didn't do that because they believed it was inspired scripture. They did it because in 1611, people liked to read. People like to watch videos now. Amen. That boy gets real quiet right there. I I don't know if you're just asleep or or whatever, but that's that's why the apocrypha was there. So anyways, but as it's laid out in the canon, let me get back to this sermon. That's a different sermon that might grieve some of y'all. Some of y'all look like you've been sucking persimmons and eating prunes. Uh, Lighten up. Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul identifies himself. And so in talking about a New Testament servant, let me say this. Probably the most important point that I could make about these servants is to simply state the obvious. They're servants. Servants are not servants because they've labeled themselves as such. Did you know that? It's one thing to say I'm a servant, but it's another thing to, to actually be one. That's very true. Uh, servants are not servants because they do some one-time act, one time act of charity or a benevolent act of goodwill on a spur of the moment. Just because you did something that gets you a little badge and gets you a little bit of notoriety or gets you a little bit of credibility with somebody, that doesn't mean that you're a servant of anything. We're not yet talking about being a servant of Christ. I'm just talking about being a servant, period. Yes, sir. Just because you came to church one one time a month, that doesn't make you a servant of God. Just because you passed out one gospel tract, that's good. Coming to church one time a month is good. And if a little bit is good, then a whole lot's got to be a whole lot better. Amen. So, so passing out one gospel tract, you know, once a month or once every three months, that's good, but it'd be better to pass out a whole lot. But doing all that stuff, that doesn't necessarily make you uh, a servant. And the obvious thing that could be said is that servants serve, but the obvious thing that could it could also be said another way, servants have masters. It's hard to have servants if you don't have masters. People that don't, we'll get into it here in just a minute a little bit more, but Servants that don't have masters are not called servants at all. They're called freemen. They're free people. And, but when you're dealing with a servant, what you're dealing with is somebody who has a master. And the word master can be seen in the word mastery. You ever heard that word mastery being used? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says in verse 25, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. You remember back when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and Joshua is up there with him. He comes down off of Mount Sinai and as they're coming down, Joshua can hear the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf and he hears all this noise. What it is is it's the people down there having a party. And he hears these people down there and he says, Hey, he says, there's the noise of war in the camp. They're fighting down there. We better hurry up. Joshua was a fighter. He liked that stuff. Yes, sir. He said, we better get down there. And Moses said, that, that's not the noise of them that have mastery, nor is it the noise of them that are being overcome. Mastery, mastery. He said it's mastery. Mastery is basically getting the upper hand on something. It's getting control of something. That's right. That's what mastery is. The word with mastery deals with somebody having control of something or having the upper hand over something. And listen, anything that you want to do in life and excel at, anything that you want to be good at in life, you're going to have to have control over it. You want to be a good person, you're going to have to have control over you. You want to be good in your trade, whatever that is. You're going to have to have control in that trade that you have. Now, I thought about this as I was putting this sermon together because we got somebody in here that cuts grass. And uh, my mind often goes to these fellows that cut grass for a living, man, because one thing is I sit in an office for most of the day, and I know these guys is out sizzling in the sun. And so when I'm sitting here preparing my sermons, I think about these boys and pray for them. Of course, that's not the only time I pray for them. I pray for them on a regular basis. But anyways... Uh, I thought about this. I thought, you know, if somebody goes to work for Brother Tommy or goes to work with Brother Dylan or Brother Devin, if they go out there and work, you know, if you want to go out there and cut some grass, you don't plop yourself down in a zero-turn mower and sit down and turn it on and then put your hands on the levers and just go, woo! That got you all awake, didn't it? Uh, you know why you don't do that? Because that's not a controlled way to cut grass. What you're going to do, I don't know a whole lot about cutting grass, but what I bet you're going to have is a bunch of ruts. You're going to have a bunch of places where your grass has been scalped or somebody else's grass has been scalped, and somebody's going to get some phone calls and say, hey, what's all this about? Uh, that, what you've got to have is you've got to have some, some control. You've got to have mastery. You've got to have mastery, and so you've got to have some control. Well, listen. Listen, let me bring it to you as a Christian. As a Christian... If you want to be a good Christian, it is not reasonable for you to think that Jesus Christ can come into the throne room of your soul and sit down in the throne room of your heart and he's somehow going to make you a good Christian if you won't let him have control. If you won't let him have the mastery, how can he make you a good Christian? You're going to have to let him have control. Well, if he's going to have the mastery, what that makes him is a master. What that makes you is a servant. What is the difference between people that get saved and never do anything and they never grow and then people who the day they get saved, they immediately start growing and, man, they turn into something for the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what the difference is. It's service. It's service. It's being a servant of Jesus Christ. And when Paul opens up his introduction to the church at Rome, the very first epistle that's recorded in the scripture, the way that he opens up the epistle is he identifies himself. Seems to be a lot of that going on in the United States these days. Well, Paul does it and he says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I really don't want to be Uh, Well, let me back up and put it this way. You say, I I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Okay, let him have control. You say, well, I don't want to let him have control. Okay, that's okay too. It's a free country. But you're not going to be able to be identified as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just all there is to it. You say, no, I, I I want to be identified as a servant, but I just don't want to let the Lord have control. Well, you're in a state of confusion, which is where a lot of people are right now. A lot of people are sitting in the place in their life to where I don't understand why things are not clear in my mind. I don't understand why I've got all this confusion. Well, I know where it didn't come from. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Where that confusion is coming from is the fact that you're trying to do what you want to do. You're trying to do what you would like, how you would like to control your life. And then at the same time, you're trying to be labeled and identified as a Christian. Listen, let me tell you something. Christian, uh, uh, being saved, salvation is 100% free. You do not work to be saved. You don't, said it this morning in my little testimony before the sermon, you you don't become a Christian gradually. You trust Christ as your Savior, and immediately you are born into the family of God. You are birthed by the Word of God. You are washed in the blood. You're saved. It's free because Christ paid it all. But let me tell you something, Hotshot. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not free. It's going to cost you everything you got. And it's going to cost you the thing that you don't want to give up the most. You say, what's that? A love of control. A love of you. A love of self. That's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't want to let Jesus have control. Okay. But you're not going to be a servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Let me say this. All Christian service starts with a service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. You're never going to be able to serve in Christian ministry. I hear all these preachers now talking about, I I got in ministry. That, that, That is a newfangled way of talking about stuff. We don't get into ministry. We get into the ministry. There's only one. It's, it's a particular ministry. It's God's ministry. And listen, you don't get into that ministry until first you become the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you have to start. Paul lists two positions here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And then he says, called to be an apostle. He's a servant, and he's an apostle. That servant, being a servant, has to deal with his attitude towards Jesus Christ. That being an apostle has to do with his attitude towards people. The word apostle means sent ones. Well, who are they sent by? God. Sent by Jesus Christ. Who are they sent to? They're sent to people. If you're an apostle, you're not called to sit on your rump in your office and never interact with people. If you're a Christian, you're not called to sit on, on your rump in your house and stay around your little area and never get out and interact with people. The call of the church is to go. It's to get out. It's to take the gospel into the four corners of the earth, and it would help if you'd start right here in Folkestone. It would help if you'd start in Brantley County. It'd help if you'd start in where? It would help if you would start in Nassau County, right where you're at, man. Just start right where you're at. Uh. Let me just say this because it just feels like it came right down from the heaven. Don't tell me you're interested in missions work because you've been supporting a missionary for $20 a month and you ain't never spent the time to go witness to your neighbor. Oh, I just got this great burden for the lost. No, you don't. What about your neighbor? No, sir. No, sir. I don't believe it. Uh, Mission work has become the God of the independent Baptist church. Yes, sir. It's been worshiped. And I'm not against missions. I'm, I'm for it. But I'm also not for uh, some, some uh, church members sitting inside a church and saying, I really am for missions. I sure am for people being saved. And yet you don't never go on church visitation. And you don't ever pass out a track anywhere you go anywhere in your life. So, Brother Nathan, I just don't like talking to people. I understand that. Come talk to me. I'm the same way. But there's gospel pamphlets back there on the back table. We try and replenish them as soon as we see them getting down. You can take those things and pass them out, can't you? But I will say this. That don't replace what God says is the method by which the gospel's supposed to be put out. That's word of mouth. You talking to somebody. If somebody's got questions, they can't open a pamphlet and say, well, hey, I got this question about this. They have to ask a person. It's you. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I just don't want to do that. Okay. Okay. You're not a servant. As long as we understand where we are. You say, Brother Nathan, why do you draw, why why do you be so so hard along this line. Well, it, it has to have a line drawn in the sand and you've got to know where you stand about this thing. Listen, if, you, if you've if you got weakness in the flesh like every man does, if you've got struggles in the flesh like every man does, if you pass out tracts one week and then the next week you don't do anything, if you witness to three people one week and don't witness to anybody the next, listen, that's understandable. That's the weakness of the flesh. But what not What is not understandable is that God put something down in your soul called salvation that's bigger than life it's bigger than the universe and you can't find it in your heart nowhere to say anything to anybody about it man something's wrong something's wrong with that kind of mentality and then you try and turn around and justify yourself in saying well I'm just not that kind of a guy then what kind of guy are you what kind of gal are you I mean, when it comes to talking about, you know, growing your garden or hunting a deer, you gladly talk to a stranger about that. Somebody walk up to you with a deer sitting on the back of you a four-wheel drive pickup truck and say, man, that's a nice buck right there. Boy, you open up a grand conversation. But let somebody walk up to you that's got, you know, uh, jewelry hanging all over their face like most teenage boys do nowadays and look like they're miserable as the devil and you can't open your mouth and say, hey, buddy, let me just tell you about Jesus. Well, I mean, I just don't want to get involved with somebody like that. Who needs it more than that guy? It don't, it don't make sense. I'm talking about being a servant. I'm talking about being a servant. It, you, but I tell you this before, before you become an apostle, you're going to have to take the attitude of a servant of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to take the attitude of a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, one of the things you're going to find that's going to hinder your ability to help somebody else is your attitude of whether or not you're a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ is right. The farther you get away in your own mind from being a servant towards the Lord, the less able you're going to be able to help somebody else. The closer you get to the attitude of, well, I am my own man, the less you're going to be able to be a blessing to somebody. The more you get to a place of where you've got this attitude, I'm not, I'm not talking about towards anybody, I'm talking about towards God. You've got this attitude of, I know what I'm doing. Well, you're fixing to get into a place where you can't help anybody if you've ever been to where you could help anybody to begin with. You can't help anyone without first taking the attitude of being Christ's servant. And that deals with who has control of your life. Who's got control? Who has the reins? Who has the steering wheel? You see these little bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot. You are in the wrong seat. You say, what seat should I be in? The trunk. Yes, sir. Uh, because if you was God's co-pilot, you'd be sitting there doing exactly what every wife does with her husband. Uh, slow down. Uh, speed up. That's what I hear most of the time. <laughs> yes, sir. Speed up. Hey, you missed the turn. Hey, you didn't do that right. Today I pulled into my house, and I thought, I guess my wife thought I was getting ready to back into my mother and father-in-law's vehicle. She said, hey, hey, hey. It wasn't quite that extreme, but I, I thought Papa Willie and my mother-in-law was going to come out and say, "Man, who's getting shot out here?" I looked at her and said, "Stop!" I got a little upset with her. That's what you'd do if you was in the in the in the co-pilot's chair if the Lord's driving your life. I don't I I don't think you know what you're doing. And, and of course, Jesus had done drove His own life. You say, but yeah, He drove it to the grave. Yeah, but He came up from the grave. Yeah. I mean, who do you think can drive your life better than Jesus can? See, that's your problem. Your problem is you think you know better than Jesus does. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know better than Jesus does. It might be debatable on whether I know better than you do. I know better than some of you. I can say that beyond the shadow of a doubt. But I can say this beyond the shadow of a doubt just as much. Jesus knows better than every single one of you. You never, you never go wrong listening to Jesus. You never go wrong cracking open that Bible and saying, I wonder what the Bible says about this particular subject. But the problem is you're too hard headed to do that, sapsucker. You got your own mind made up. I'm going to just do what I want to do. And listen, you can do that. You really can. But you can't be identified as Christ's servant. You say, well, I can still be saved. Yeah, but boy, you're going to have salvation and you're going to be in for a rough ride in this life. It's been said very well this way. You know, I could get in uh, my pickup truck out here. It is out here. I could get in my pickup truck with four wheels on that thing, and all four wheels could be the same size, or I could get in that same pickup truck with each tire being a different size. Both trucks, both situations will get me to where I'm going, but one is going to be a whole lot rougher of a ride than the other. Which one would you rather ride in? Of course, now it's a thing to where all these trucks go down the road like this. Let me just say that. Let me just say that for the edification of the church. That's stupid. That's just dumb. Uh, You say, well, I like it. Help yourself. You want to do that? Help yourself. You can't tow nothing with a truck like that. You can't work with it. It ain't worth nothing. But uh, I'm not going to split fellowship with you over that. And you want to dress your truck up like that. You help yourself. That's not a requirement of church membership. I'm just going to look at you with a hairy eyebrow. That's all. I love you, though. Amen. Yes, sir. They both get you to the same place. But well, one's going to be a whole lot rougher of a ride. One will get you to a certain place. Listen, uh, just being saved without being a servant, you know what it's going to do? It's going to, it's going to take you to heaven. Being saved without being a servant, it's going to take you to heaven. But it's going to take you to heaven with a frown on your face. Yes, sir. It's going to take you with a lot of heartache, and it's going to take you with a lot of sorrow, and it's going to take you with a lot of chastening from the mighty hand of God. But submitting yourself and being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, what that's going to do is it's going to take you to heaven with a smile on your face. You say, oh, is God going to take away all the suffering and the shame and the heartache? No, sir. You're going to have just as much. But God's going to give you the power. God's going to give you the ability to take that with grace. God's going to give you the ability to go through that stuff with a smile on your face and peace in your heart and joy in your heart. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. say, well, I'm not interested in that kind of life. Well, let me tell you something. You're going to have trouble either way you go. I'd rather take it with Jesus. I really would. I'd rather take it with Jesus. Yes, sir. You're going to have to learn to let Jesus have control if you want to be a servant. Now, let me put it this way. Uh, Let's say you want to be an apostle. Oh, no, Brother Nathan, we don't want to be apostle. I'm using Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I'm using the verbiage that we find here in the verse. Let's say you want to be an apostle, but you want to bypass being a servant of Jesus Christ. How do you reckon that's going to turn out? I want, I want to minister to people, but I don't want to let Jesus have control of my life. How you reckon, what do you reckon that's going to produce? Let me tell you what it's not going to produce. It's not going to produce Christians. You say, what's it going to produce? It's going to produce little clones. Yes, sir. If I'm an apostle, if I'm sent to you, which a man that's not a servant, he ain't sent by nobody. The Bible said in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord talking about these false prophets, he said, they come and telling you what I'm saying. And he said, I didn't send them. They're just telling you what they what's come up in their own imagination. I think I think a lot of people is saying that all 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 over the place. A lot of people's just telling other Christians what they dreamed up in some dream after that they had last night after they ate a whole pizza. Yes, sir. It's just it's just imaginary stuff. Well, listen, a fellow that wants to be in Christian ministry, but he doesn't himself want to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ to the control of the Holy Ghost, what he's going to turn out is little clones. You've got to be like me, and if you're not like me, then we can't fellowship. Do you know, I know that there's people sitting right here in this building, big shocker. There's people sitting right here in this building that probably disagree with me on some of the things that I've said from the pulpit, and you know what? That's okay. I can handle that. I really can I can deal with that. If you and I disagree on something like the gap theory, I don't believe that there's a gap in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I just don't. I don't see it. But you know what? If somebody comes in here and they believe it, man, oh, no. There's a gap theory. You know what? I'm not going to run them off from this church. I'm just not going to. Unless they get in here and start trying to teach that there is one. Unless they get in here and start trying to pastor the church, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not going to run you off. I'm not going to be mad at you about that thing. A lot of people disagree uh, about some stuff you know what that's okay you know why you don't have to be my clone I tell you what you got to be you got to be a Christian right. yes sir you, you don't have to be like brother Nathan God help you if you like brother Nathan but you got to be like Christ Amen. you say well I don't want to be like Christ okay then we'll pray for you and we'll love you and the doors are open to this church to you as long as you want to come and as long as you don't cause problems ain't that right But I tell you what, you're not going to be identified as a Christian. I'm not talking about what we identify you as. You and your own conscience is going to know I'm not a Christian. You say, why? You're not giving Jesus control. You're not letting him have mastery of you. Yes, sir. I'd really like to do something in the church. Does Jesus have the control? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. What I'm talking about is who's got control of your life? Well, uh, I feel like I need to just hang out here for a second. I got a whole sermon. I got a whole sermon laid up here, but let me just lay here for a second. Let me just kind of lean in on this for just a second. What I'm not talking about is to where you got everything a-okay, and to where everything is put together in your life. I believe that's an important distinction that you need to understand. No man is perfect. No man has got to the place to where he's arrived. But there is a clear mark, there is a clear distinction between people who have said, Lord, I want to give you everything that I've got. God, whatever it is that you want out of my life, here's a blank check. You can have it. God, whatever it is that you want out of my life, I'm interested in knowing and I'm interested in being obedient. And then there's a group of folks that's saying, well, hey, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm just glad with just being who I am and the rest of everybody's just going to have to put up with me. Let me tell you something about that latter crowd. It's not an absolute rule, but this is a good rule of thumb. A lot of folks in that latter crowd have trouble with the assurance of their salvation. And Just let that sink in for just a second. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to get you to think about some things. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Number one who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, number two. You know what you had before you got saved? You had condemnation. You got saved, and God took that condemnation away. Man, you're so glad that you're saved. and Man, I just want to be a servant. I just want to be obedient. You didn't maybe think about it in those terms, but that was the attitude that you had. You was humbled, thankful. Hey, God saved my soul. I just want to serve God. Ain't that right? Some of you have been closer to God in some places in your life than you are right now and the thing that made you closer was you had the heart of saying, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Now somebody could put dynamite under your seat and they couldn't blow you from where you sit with 300 pounds of TNT. And then you sit around and say, I wonder why, I wonder why, why? why I just don't feel like I'm saved. I'll tell you why. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That condemnation that gets laid on your life according to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 can easily be confused by an undiscerning Christian as, hey, that's the condemnation of me being lost. Feels the same. I must be lost. No, you're not lost. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're saved. You just backslid as the devil. That backsliding might be in the form of you just lazy. It might be that you've been filling your brain with too much YouTube and not enough Bible. It might be that you've been filling your brain with too many movies and not enough Bible. I don't know what will kill Christians faster than the television and, and computers and cell phones. I don't know what to kill a Christian faster than those things. Are you saying we should get rid of all that stuff? I'm telling you do, you, do it as the Lord leads you. But what I'm telling you is that soaks up so much time that you could be spending trying to get closer to God. And what's really going on is you're wasting your time walking after the things of this flesh. I'm not watching anything bad. You're wasting time. Precious time that could be spent reading your Bible or praying or witnessing or listening to preaching. Listening to preaching, you're wasting all that time just having a good old time. And then you sit around on your bedstool at night, if you even got a bedstool, or sit on the edge of your bed and you say, I just don't feel like I'm saved. Why should you? Why should you? You ain't acted like it for the last three weeks. I said, Brother Nathan, that kind of makes me feel bad. I'm really not. God knows my heart, man. I'm not trying to make you feel bad if it does make you feel bad. And if it doesn't make you feel bad, I hope it does. What I'm trying to get you to see is that there is a better life that you could live. But you're going to have to get, as my dad would say, get your rear in gear. Discipleship is not free. Disciple. Discipline, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You want to be a servant? i tell you this. I want you to be a servant. I want you to be a servant of the Lord Jesus, but I can't, I can't do it for you. You've got to hash that out with God. Amen. Amen. Look here in Luke 17. Boy, we got to get moving. Let's look here in Luke 17. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17. This is a great, great passage here in the New Testament about servants. Luke 17 and look in verse 7. The Bible says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat,' and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, when, when ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which is our duty to do. Let me tell you a couple of things that I see out of this passage. Let me say, first of all, that a servant, the rule of a servant is service. It's not the exception. You want to talk about a New Testament servant, you know what servants do? They serve. That's the rule of their life. That's what they do. So well I, I don't serve. Well, that might be because you're not a servant. It might be because you look at yourself like a freeman. But you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, What know ye not that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought. You're bought with a price. That's a high price, by the way. And he goes on to say right there in verse 20, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That thing that you're sitting in, that carcass that you throw around so rough during the day and mistreat, that's God's property. It's God's. It's God's. It's God. God bought it. God bought it. And what you get out of Luke chapter 17 is that the idea that you get is that it's not an extraordinary thing for servants to serve. That's what they do. I don't know why it is that you get sleepy-eyed when, you start, when somebody starts talking about service. And I don't know why it is that you get uninterested when preachers talk about serving the Lord. This is the grandest life that there is to be lived. You so say, I'm saved. Man, you're still playing in the sandbox. Man, the greatest life to be lived is getting engaged with God, getting in a situation to where you need God to do something, not just for you, but for his own namesake. God, I told this fella that you died for him. I told him that you sent Jesus Christ to die for him. God, I would really love to see you get a hold of that old boy's heart. See, what you've been praying about, what you've been praying about, and I don't mean to point it this way. I don't mean to point it at anybody in particular, but what you've been praying about is, God, they've made me mad. God, I need you to get a a hold of them. I need you to work vengeance for my sake. That's that's the wrong attitude. The right attitude is, God, I told them what you said, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see what's right, help them to see what's true. That's the right attitude. That's the right attitude. Otherwise, you get bitter. Otherwise, you're your own servant. You're not Christ's servant. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, all your responsibility is is to be the mailman. Just say what God tells you to say, do what God tells you to do, and let the results be in the Lord's lap. Unless you want to be your own servant, then you'll have to execute your own judgment. You'll have to get even with people. Let me tell you something. God's not going to get, quote, unquote, even with people for your sake. And he's not going to get even with people on your time schedule, neither. And why are you praying for God to get even with people? Because they made you mad? You just remember how many times you've upset the Lord and frustrated the grace of God. Listen, I'm not telling you. There's some people that scoundrels. Yes, sir. There's some people that deserve to have their wicked deeds exposed. But all I'm going to tell you is before you open your mouth and start praying that God will knock a knot on their head, just proceed with caution. Because there have been several times where you've deserved worse than a knot on your head. And God has forbeared. He has foreborn, I guess I should say. And he's done that because he's a very merciful God. And here you sit in a church on Sunday night. God's dealing with your heart. What's to say God couldn't do this very same thing with that idiot that you're praying God would help you get revenge over? Yes, sir. You're Christ-servant. you Christ-servant. You're, you're God-servant. Quit serving yourself. Yes, sir, that's the biggest thing you're going to have to fight for the rest of your life is either serving you or serving God. Serve God. Listen, you can't pay your own wages. You can't give yourself rewards. God has to do that. God's the one that deserves to be served. Yes, sir, servant doesn't look at the expectations of his master as unjust. That's what he said right here. Which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meat? Nobody says that to their servant. What he says is in the next verse. What you'd say to your servant is in the next verse. Hey, go make ready. Make me something to eat. Get ready for me to eat. And then afterwards you can take care of yourself. Oh, that's, that's hard. That's, that's cruel. That's mean. That's the attitude that a servant is supposed to take though. I understand in this generation nobody takes that attitude, but that's just because you're far from principle. That's all that means. Servants are looking out for the desires of their master, not their own desires. God, what is it that you want? Well, I told you, I think I told you last week, maybe it was, well, I've really been getting a great blessing in my own prayer life from the Lord's Prayer. Looking at that thing and praying about that thing and trying to model my prayers after the Lord's prayer. That's what he said. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. You know, that one of the things that I've been praying is, Lord, fulfill your will in my life. Fulfill your will in my life. Stop praying that you would be able to fulfill your will in your life because your life, if you're saved, is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about having a bigger house. It's not about having a nicer car. It's not about having all this stuff, all this junk that you don't need but you'd like to have. It's not about having a wife. It's not about having a husband. It's about God's will. Well, I wonder what God's will. I can tell you what God's will is. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I tell you what would do you good in your prayer life. Next time you get out on your knees, when you get going real good and you start get you start worshiping the Lord, God thank you for how holy you are. And God, I pray that God, you'd help me to be a witness, and God, I pray that you'd start saving souls through my witness. Yes, sir. You say why? Because that's a prayer in accordance with the will of God. That's what God's looking for. God not looking, God not looking for, Lord, I'd really like to have a nicer truck. God might give that to you. I'm not saying God won't do that. He might, he might not. But what I am saying is that the will of God is, God's not willing that any should perish. God help me, Lord. God, I pray you fulfill your will in my life and I pray you help me to be more thankful. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God help me, Lord, to be more thankful. You know why you have a hard time praying that kind of stuff? Because that goes against the grain. It just cuts crossways with your will. But I tell you what, you want to get God on your life? Get in the current of God's will. Get out of the mode of everything has to be about me unless you don't want to be God's servant. If you want to be your servant, then you keep going the way that you're going. Keep praying about you. Keep orchestrating your life about you. But if you want to serve the Lord, orchestrate your life around God's will. Lord, this is about you. This is is all this other stuff. You say, well, you know, Brother Nathan, I'm just really busy trying to make a living. Let me tell you something. You're wasting time. Ain't a man supposed to provide for his own? Absolutely is. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But let me tell you something. God didn't leave you here as a Christian to have a family. Oh, brother, you're treading on thin ice. I know where I'm at. God didn't leave you here to have a family. It's a great blessing. you married? Take care of your wife. Take care of your babies. Make sure they got food to eat. But having... Having a living is not having four vehicles in the driveway and having a 3,000-square-foot house. If, If God supplies it for you, help yourself. But if that's what you're chasing, you're chasing the wrong thing. What am I supposed to be chasing? God left you here for his will. You're Christ's servant. God left you here to serve him, not you. I just don't know why I'm so discouraged. It's because you're serving you. God gave you the divine nature. God put something in you that is only going to be satisfied when you look at God's will and say, that's the best life that there is. That's what I want to do. And commit yourself to it and start going after it. Boy, you're going to say, well, man, I sure don't have the brand new truck that I'd like to have. I'd like to have a 2022, of course, I wouldn't, but a 2022 or 2023 Duramax diesel, one-ton suspension, I don't have that, but boy, I sure do have the peace of God in my heart. You know I'm sitting down here with my wife and my babies, and we're not fighting every time we turn around. You say why? Because you make God's will the focus of your life instead of your will. Serving of Christ. Yes, sir. Serving of Christ. Look in Exodus. We'll close here this morning or this evening. Exodus. Exodus chapter 21. One simple point. i got a bunch of notes, but we're going to bypass all that stuff. I believe the Lord's done what he wants to do. Let me just say Exodus 21. Let me point something out to you. You know what Exodus chapter 20 is, don't you? That's what you commonly know as the Ten Commandments. And lo and behold, the very thing that he deals with next in Exodus chapter 21 is this matter of a Hebrew having a Hebrew servant and what you do, you, let, you make this guy serve you for six years. This guy serves you for six years. And then in the seventh year, you let him go free. But he doesn't want to go free. So what do you do with him? Well, right here in Exodus chapter 21, I'm not going to read the six verses. You go home and look at it. But he says what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take him before the judges. Before the judges. And you take him and you put his ear up against a door. And you bore his hole through. You bore his ear through with an awl. You put a hole in his ear. You know what you mark on a servant? You don't mark his hands. You don't mark his feet. You mark his ear. You know how you can know that you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he have your ear? Are you listening to him? Let me ask you something. When's the last time God spoke to you about anything? Did you listen? Did you do what he told you to do? If I had to guess, I'd say that there might be somebody. That might be many folks. There might be nobody. I, I really don't know. Of course, I, I say that, but I bet you, you're probably sitting in here, some of you probably sitting in here, and the Lord spoke to you once and spoke to you twice and spoke to you three times and spoke to you four times. And God might speak to you again. He might not. I don't know. But God spoke to you and spoke to you and spoke to you and spoke to you And you ain't listened yet. You know what that means? You're not a servant. Are you saying I'm not saved, Brother Nathan? I didn't say anything of the kind. You can do what you want to do and still be saved. You know what the the marvel, people throw off on us because we believe in eternal security. And I do. Once saved, always saved. I believe in it. It's not a Baptist doctrine. That's a Bible doctrine. Yes, sir. It's a New Testament doctrine. People throw off on us because what they say, Brother Chris, is you believe people can be saved, and then once they get saved, they can do whatever they want to do? Well, in the technical sense, yes. Yes, I do believe that. Well, then what's to keep people from doing what it is that they want to do? Well, my response to that is people are going to do what they want to do anyway. My question is, if you got eternal security, if you got saved and God said he'd keep you eternally secure, why would you, why would you want to do the things that you used to do? Amen. Listen, there's a group of folks sitting right here in this building. You're sitting right here in this building. God pulled you out of a life of muck and mire. That's what's wrong with some of you. You don't appreciate the fact that you're saved. God ain't never showed you what a disaster you were before you got saved. That's why you constantly doubt your salvation. That's why you constantly are in a situation to where, oh, I just feel so bad. It's because you don't know the monster that you were before you got saved. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go home and get down on your knees and say, God, show me what you really did for me at Calvary. Show me, God, deal with my heart and show me from the scriptures the agony that you had to endure because of my transgressions. And once you get a glimpse of what Jesus Christ went through because of the scoundrel that you are, you come to church next week or next Wednesday, whenever you come to church and you'll say, man, it's so good to be saved. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, the, the people that shout the loudest in this church are the people that realize what God did for them. You say, I don't believe that. The, the, Jesus Christ said, if a person's forgiven much, they'll love much. That doesn't mean that somebody else was worse than you when they got saved. It just means you don't see what they see. Their transgression worked to the outside. Yours didn't. It was more of a heart thing. Listen, God saved people sitting right in this building. They was drunkers. They was dopers. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up on the church pew, as a matter of fact, right in here. This was my pew, about right there where my father in law sitting. That's where I grew up, a church kid. But I'll never forget the day, Brother Tommy, that God dealt with me and showed me what a rascal I was. It was after I got saved. God showed me I was a sinner. But I didn't realize the sinner that I was until many years after I got saved. I was well into my teenage years. I said, God, I I want to go on with you. I want to understand this business about Calvary. And God said, well, I tell you what, let me show you what Jesus Christ, what my son did for you at Calvary. Boy, I saw that, man, I really ain't the great guy that I thought I was. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was bad. But boy, when God started dealing with me and showed me what Jesus did for my sins, how my sins nailed him to the cross, changed my life. I'm not saying I never backslide. I'm not saying that I don't ever come to the house of God with a droopy face. I, I'm a man just like you men are. I'm fleshed just like you ladies are. But I'm telling you, I ain't been the same since the day I got saved. And boy, God gave me a little pep in my step the day that God showed me, hey, let me show you what I did for you when I saved you. Quit looking for the deep and doctrinal stuff that's way over everybody's head in the scripture you're going, to come up, you're going to come up to the pulpit. Tell, tell me about it. You're going to come up to the pulpit. You're going to come to the church. And you're going to wow everybody with how smart you are. No, you ain't. <laughs> no, you ain't. You're going to shoot over everybody's head, and everybody's going to be looking at you like, what, what you saying? Let me tell you where to go. Go right back to the place where you got saved and say, God, show me more of that. Amen. Everything that you need to know in this Christian life will stem from right there. It will stem from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The better understanding you have of that, the better understanding you're going to have of who you need to be as a Christian. I don't have to live this way. I don't have to live this way. I want to. There's nothing for me on the backside, side, on, on the before side of Calvary that I want to go back to. Nothing. I love what I do because of Jesus. Say so this morning, Jesus came into my heart and he brought in that gospel broom started cleaning things out. I'm thankful about that. I just don't understand. I don't understand all these rules that y'all have around here at People's Baptist Church. I know that's because you're not a servant. Servants have rules. And you know what? It's not the rules. It's not the rules that the preacher puts on them. It's the rules that the master puts on them. Listen, if the only rules you're getting in your life is the rules that the preacher's putting on you, you're far from God. You need to get out on your knees and say, God, you put some rules on me. And you won't look at them things and say they're rules because what you're going to say is, God, I'm going to give you myself, mark my ear, because I love my master and I don't want to be free. I don't want to be free. I love my master. My master gave me everything I got. I got a wife and I got three kids. You know who gave those to me? My master. I got a house. I got a roof over my head. You know who gave that to me? My master. Right now, I'm living my dream. 12-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy, 17-year-old boy, only thing I ever dreamed about was working in the ministry. Got to a place where I was sitting under Mike Easter and said, you know what? If God never lets me be a pastor, I'm okay with that. Right now, 34, however old I am, I'm living my dream. You know who gave that to me? My master. Living my dream. I'm Getting to do what I want to do. I got a good master. Why would I want to go back and do the trash that everybody else is doing? I love my master. Father, Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, I pray that the point was gotten across. And God, I pray, Lord, that you help us, Lord, to love you, Lord. God, you're a good God to us, Lord. God, we're so unworthy. God, we're not worthy to be saved. God, not worthy to be saved. God, Lord, you're a good God. Lord, help us. God, help us, Lord, to dedicate our lives to you. God, give you everything we got. Lord, any kind of service, God, that we can render to you, God, is really inadequate. God, it's just our duty. Lord, we owe it to you. But, Lord, I pray, God, that you help us, God, to do it with a good attitude. Help us to do it with cheer, God, with joy in our heart. God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name. Some have come this evening. God, spoke to your heart. Do business with God. Would you respond to him? God's a merciful God. Listen, God is so merciful. But would you respond to him? He deserves it. He deserves it. He's a good master. You'll never find another one like him. He's the best.